The 14th century English mystic Julian of Norwich has been categorized by people in many different ways, but first and foremost, she is the author of an extraordinary text, The Revelations, which is the earliest known text authored by a woman in English. Personally, she has been a friend and companion in my Christian life for over 30 years. I'm the Reverend David Simmons, Episcopal priest and oblate in the Order of Julian of Norwich. Thank you for joining me as we read and pray through the works of this extraordinary woman of faith and explore what she has to teach us about God's love. Good morning and welcome to Love Was His Meaning, reading and praying with uh, Julian of Norwich. Um, and today we are into chapter 21 of uh, the, uh, the Revelations. But first we'll do our little office uh, that is linked to in the description on either the podcast or the live stream. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and repents of evil. Let us say together Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God, and listen to my prayer. I call upon you from the ends of the earth with heaviness in my heart. Set me upon the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. I will dwell in your house forever. I will take refuge under the cover of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have granted me the heritage of those who fear your name. Add length of days to the king's life. Let his years extend over many generations. Let him sit enthroned before God forever. Bid love and faithfulness watch over him. So will I always sing the praise of your name, and day by day I will fulfill my vows. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Let's pray together a prayer of Julian. God of your goodness, give me yourself, for you are enough to me, and I can ask nothing that is less that can be full honor to you. And if I ask anything that is less, I shall always be in want, for only in you have I all. Amen. So here we are at chapter 21. This is the last reading in the 8th vision, uh, which can be variously titled, but as the uh, Christ's suffering and death. Uh, so we're, we're about to come out of that entire vision uh, that we've been going through uh, for, for the last many, many chapters. It is God's will, as I understand it, that we have three ways of looking at his blessed passion. The first, which we should view with contrition and compassion, is the cruel pain that he suffered, and that one our Lord showed to me at this time, and gave me power and grace to see it. And I looked for the departing of his life with all my might, and expected to have seen the body entirely dead, but I saw him not so. And just at the same time that I thought, by appearance, that his life could no longer last, and the showing of the end properly needed to be near, Suddenly, as I gazed upon the same cross, he changed his blessed countenance. The changing of his blessed countenance changed mine, and I was as glad and as merry as possible. Then brought our Lord merrily to my mind, Where is now any point to thy pain or to thy distress? And I was completely happy. 
I understood that in our Lord's meaning, we are now on his cross with him in our pains and in our suffering and dying, and if we willingly remain on the same cross with his help and his grace until the last moment, suddenly he shall change his appearance to us, and we shall be with him in heaven. Between the one and the other there shall be no passage of time, and then shall all be brought to joy. And so meant he in this showing, Where is now any point to thy pain or thy distress? And we shall be fully blessed. And here I saw truthfully that if he showed us his most blissful face now, there is no pain on earth nor in any other place that would distress us, but everything would be to us joy and bliss. But because he showed to us an expression of suffering as he bore in this life, his cross, therefore we are in distress and labor with him as our frailty demands. And the reason why he suffers is because he wishes of his goodness to make us heirs with him in his bliss. And for this little pain that we suffer here, we shall have an exalted, endless knowledge in God, which we could never have had without that pain. The crueler our pains have been with him on his cross, the more shall our honor be with him in his kingdom. Well, in the beginning of this chapter, uh, she says that she understands that we have three ways of looking at his blessed passion. She only gives us one of those here. Uh, the, the others are answered later on in her further reflection. Um, but we're at the end of this vision of uh, where she's seen the, the copious bleeding and the, the, the drying, uh, you know, all of that stuff that we've gone through in the last, um, in the last couple of months as we work through uh, this particular vision of Christ dying. And she expects... At some point, she's going to see his body entirely dead, but she doesn't see that at all. In fact, it's a it's an instantaneous change uh, in in her vision. It goes from that that um, vision of Christ suffering to immediately he changed his countenance. He, his face changes, and she's as glad and merry as possible. He uses she uses this word a lot. This merrily idea, this word of for merrily, uh, brought this our Lord merrily to my mind. Where is now any point to thy pain or to, to thy distress? Um, now, John Julian, when he does did this translation, uses this kind of courteous um, Elizabethan language whenever uh, Jesus speaks uh, in such a way. Um, but other translators choose to do it differently. Uh, so I'm Ruth Aubert, um, whom I also read every time I do this, um, translates this: Where, where, where has your pain and anguish gone to now? It's um, almost playful here. Um, Jesus is suffering, and then all of a sudden his countenance has changed to one that's merry and glad. And he says, where has your pain and anguish gone to now? Almost, you know, uh, where's it gone? Where's it, where was it at? What did it signify? You know, what, what, what was it? How much was it? You know, is this kind of, he's asking here in a kind of playful manner. And she was completely happy. So, um, this this is where Julian kind of goes off the track from most other medieval mystics. Uh, most other medieval mystics spent an awful lot of time um, in the the suffering and in the death and in in all of these these parts that are um, uh, that are centering on Christ's suffering. She goes through her suffering as we've seen with her in the last couple of months. She goes through some pretty um, vivid um, pictures of his suffering, but that's not the point. That only takes us up to the point, which is what happens right now and in the next couple of chapters, where Christ's appearance is changed, and he starts asking her questions about how she interprets 
uh, what it is that she's seen. And she's completely happy. I understood that we're now on his cross with him in our pain and our suffering. So this idea that uh, the suffering that we, we face in our lives, and we have to remember that during Julian's time, people are going through enormous amounts of suffering on a daily basis. Um, back to the idea of, you know, three bouts of the Black Plague um, during her during her life, uh, several um, insurrections, uncertainty in the church as to who's in charge, you know, all of this kind of stuff, and war, constant war, um, all of this kind of stuff, even as it goes on today, uh, was going on in even more, um, uh, more depth when she was around. And we are on his cross with him in our pain and our suffering. She doesn't explain why pain and suffering happens. This is a great mystery um, throughout the church. Um, the, the actual explanation as to why it happens is something that nobody really has a good answer to. Uh, I tell people that if they have a really good answer for that, if somebody has a really good answer for that, for that you should probably turn around and run away. Um, that's not something that, um, you know, the, the uh, Buddhists would say that it's, it's, a, a, it's illusory. Suffering doesn't really exist. Uh, most, most of the, uh, us in the, in the traditions that come from uh, based in the Old Testament would say, no, suffering is real. It's something that happens. And it, it has a role uh, in our lives, and we don't really know exactly what it is. Except that as Christians, we say that Jesus suffers with us. Or more properly, Julian says that we suffer with Christ. So Christ's suffering is kind of the suffering that all suffering flows into. Uh, that that it, It's all gathered up in that. And there she saw truthfully, uh, this, this is a completely optimistic uh, theology. You know, uh, yeah, of course there's suffering now, but it will all be changed in a moment. And she says, if, if he showed us his most blissful face now, there's no pain on our earth nor in any other place that would distress us, but everything would be to us joy and bliss. Um, just being able to look on our Savior's face after he's suffering is enough to, to change everything for us. And the reason why he suffers is because he wishes of his goodness to make us heirs with him in his bliss. Okay, so at the time of Julian, the reason for Christ's suffering was generally what was called substitutionary atonement. Most people believed that since God's honor had been affronted, remember this is a feudal society in which honor is the most important thing, and a serf has very little honor, and a king has a lot of honor, and God has an infinite amount of honor above that. And if you offended the honor of anybody above you in the chain, that that person had a right to demand punishment of you, uh, sometimes even up to death. Um, so, you know, God's honor is so high, and we've offended God's honor by our sinfulness, that therefore the uh, the, that honor is, that, that sinfulness is so great, and that offense is so great, that only God has enough honor to be able to give it up in order to appease God's own honor. It's it doesn't make a lot of sense to us uh, because we don't sit in a feudal society that operates this way. Uh, unfortunately, an awful lot of Christian theology still operates on substitutionary atonement, and that's why less and less people these days can. Uh, it's one of one of the the things that actually hamstrings Christianity uh, today is that if you haven't been raised in that idea, um, it makes no sense to somebody outside the church because we just don't think of honor in quite the same way that we, uh, even people who are still in honor-bound cultures right now, don't think of it in the same way that they did in, in medieval times. So it seems completely different to us. But she, in the middle of this, is saying something different. 
that the crucifixion is not a way of appeasing God's wrath or a way of appeasing God's honor. The crucifixion is the means of oneing with Christ in heaven. So, so the entire point is to bring us to oneness with God, and the crucifixion gathers together the pain and suffering and, and brings it together with God. And pain is redeemed as being part of the entire experience of salvation. That's one of John Julian's phrases here. Pain is redeemed. I'll say that again. Pain is redeemed as being part of the entire experience of salvation. It's not the entire thing. Spending all your time uh, looking at the, the pain of the crucifixion or our own pain on earth is not what God intends for us to do, but it's part of the process in some mysterious way that we don't quite understand. And that uh, she, her last line in this chapter is, the crueler our pains have been with him on his cross, the more shall our honor be with him in his kingdom. Uh, what she, uh, she says repeatedly, she kind of likens uh, the wounds of sin to kind of like battle wounds that have been, will be healed by God and then become scars. And it's not like, you know, I often tell people that forgive and forget is nowhere in the Bible. Uh, forgive is in the Bible. Um, uh, so our sins are not forgotten. They're simply forgiven. Uh, they remain as scars. And uh, Julian uh, elsewhere talks about the fact that those scars uh, from sin are some of the most beautiful things to God because there are times where we have turned away um, and then uh, we have been healed of it and we have, we have of our own free will, turned around and been healed of it. So it becomes a thing of beauty and not a thing of shame. As, as um, Julian says, or many times, sin is behoofly. It's, it's part of who we are as human beings. It's not something we can entirely escape. Uh, so uh, the, the parts that we're able to control and turn around and confess to God and have healed are things that are, um, are held by God in, in high esteem, as, as I said, kind of like a battle wound that's been healed uh, and a thing of honor. Next time on Thursday, we'll go into one of my favorite one of my favorite chapters. I'm looking forward to that. Let's say together the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I bid your prayers at this time. We ask specifically for the for people caught up in war in Eastern Europe, particularly for the people of Ukraine. I ask your prayers for those on our parish prayer list, and I bid your prayers and intercessions at this time. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 
Save us from the time of trial, and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Most holy Lord, the ground of our beseeching, who through your servant St. Julian revealed the wonder of your love, grant that as we are created in your nature and restored by your grace, our wills may be so made one with yours that we may come to see you face to face and gaze on you forever. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me for Love Was His Meaning. Uh, we'll see you next time. Until then, take care of yourself and the people around you, and God bless. Thank you for joining me for Love Was His Meaning today. This podcast is generally available twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. The text of Julian's Revelations used in this podcast is The Complete Julian by Father John Julian Swanson, OJN, and is used by permission of the order. The theme music is Julian of Norwich by Bombadil and is used under license.